All right, and welcome back to Hardtail News. This is Doc, and I'm your uh, new Thursday host. And I just want to thank you guys for coming in on this Thursday and uh, checking me out here on my second show on Thursday. Uh, I want to thank those of you that catch me on the rest of the days of the week that I'm on. And, and uh, we got a very special guest here tonight. It's, uh, he hasn't been here uh, with me for a couple of weeks uh, due to my move and him being on vacation. But uh, we've got Chris White from NowhereToRunRadio.com and, of course, ConspiracyClothes.com and, and uh, of Zeitgeist Challenge fame. Hey, Chris, how you doing, man? Doc, what's up, man? It's really good to talk to you again. Yeah, yeah. Hey, a lot of folks have missed you, man. Folks were asking, hey, what happened to Chris? What happened to Chris? And <laughs> All right. You know, you, you right. took a vacation, so, right? Yeah, well, we went down to Gulf Shores and uh, uh, whatnot. I'm getting married here in uh, August, so I was uh, hanging out with the uh, fiancé's uh, family and stuff and all that jazz. But, yeah, all back and all ready to ready to rock, and glad to be back. Awesome, awesome, and everybody's glad to see you, too. So, hey, well, you know, uh, Speaking of rocking, topic. real quick, that, that band that you played there, that, that drummer and that guitar player are, like, smoking. That was really good. I don't know if they're, like, somebody you know or whatever, but that's really good stuff. Yeah, they they wrote that for the station, and and that's a group called Black Torah, and you can find them on MySpace forward slash Black Torah T O R A. Uh, they've been on the show before. Uh, the lead singer, in fact, they're brothers. The lead singer and the guitarist are, are and they're Christians as well. Um, and uh, they made that song for us. They actually did a full version, and they're actually playing that on tour right now. They're on tour with, uh, I think it's Def Leppard and a couple of. Uh, couple of other 80s rock bands, right, that I, I grew up listening to. So I thought that was kind of cool, you know? Definitely. I've actually heard of those guys, too. Uh, I've seen them around here and there. But, yeah, definitely. That's cool. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So so here's, here, we're going we're gonna to cover the big topic, right, the, the one that everybody always throws at me, and obviously uh, I know you hear it all the time, um, and that is that, number one, uh, uh, that the Bible and Christianity is a control mechanism of the Illuminati, the Bible's been altered uh, a million times by the Vatican, the Illuminati, uh, and things of that nature. And, uh, you know, the facts do not support that, correct? No. No, they don't support it at all. But um, it, nevertheless, is definitely um, something that people use. And, and really, this it's kind of a variation of something that you hear probably the most the most used sort of thing that people say is, oh, well, you can't trust the Bible. It's been, you know, manipulated or changed or the game of telephone or some variation of it. Um, it's it's like probably the number one thing that people say. And in my experience, it's kind of like it's like people don't really think it through. It's sort of their way to sort of wash their hands of it and say, hey, look, I got this one liner and the one liner keeps me from having to think about any anything in there or any of the stuff about it. Because I've got this one-liner, whether it's true or not, they don't really. It doesn't. It's it's true in their mind. But I think that's what's interesting is if you take that one thing away, they're kind of sitting there like, oh, well, um, you know, I've got to think of something else, really. But we we kind of have a little different version of it in that we um, uh, we know about uh, groups like we'll call the Illuminati for for or the New World Order or whatever, and. Um, you know, it seems that's a that's a really logical jump to take that you know old favorite and to um, say, well, the Illuminati they control everything, so they probably controlled that too. And the idea of the uh, control your minds mechanism, I think that one, I, it doesn't make any sense. And I'll we'll talk a little bit about that, I'm sure, as we progress. But more than just the fact that I, I think it doesn't make sense, it, it, one of the things it's just. Um, it kind of has this this way of making people be like, oh man, the man wants me to read the Bible. I don't want to read it then. You know, it's like they they like come up with it. it's like this natural reaction of like, man, whatever the man says, I don't want to do. So so it's like almost Satan's like, you know, the man wants you to read the Bible, and you're like, oh no way, he wants me to read the Bible, then I don't want to read it. You know, and it's, and that and it doesn't make any sense though when you look at it logically, but. I'm sure we'll look at it logically, but yeah, to answer the question, uh, it's not it's not factually accurate of a statement. Yeah, and I I would agree with you on that too. And interestingly enough, that that analogy of that's what the man wants you to do. I, I remember uh, when I was you know running amok and running away from how I was raised, and that was all, that was my answer a lot was 
no way, man. That's what you know. That's what all the squares want. They want me to read the Bible that they got all this, all these, all these rules and and uh, you know it's it's all about things that I'm not allowed to do and and this and that and and as I as I got to reading the Bible, I found out. And when it's not about what you're not allowed to do, but it's about God actually wanting to keep you from doing things that are harmful to you spiritually and physically. And and uh, so to me, uh, that was that that statement just resonated really, really clearly with me. Um, but to get back to uh, to get to get back to the topic, um, you, you laid out uh, three different ways, and, and really these are the ways: scientifically, uh, logically, and historically. Uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna lay out the case. So let, let's start with first altering uh, the altering of the Bible, and and let's let's start out with with scientifically. Um, what you know, when it comes to the Bible being altered a bunch of times down through history, uh, and and I don't mean changes like a new international version from a King James version, but the actual change in meaning of the words. How do, how does all that come together? Great, and we'll talk about the NIV and and all that stuff a little later. Um, well, the the main point of this is that uh, it is really, really easy to prove. If somebody says, hey, the Bible's been changed by the Vatican or the Bible's been changed by the Illuminati or something, you should know that if somebody's saying that to you, they should be able to prove it to you. So call them on it every single time. If they say, hey, you know, the Bible's been changed, say, say do you know when or, or where? Can you point me to uh, when? Because the, the issue is is that with the New Testament, for example, there are more copies of the New Testament than there is for literally any um, any text in the history of the world. There, I mean, just on sheer numbers of texts, um, we, you know, the, the numbers are somewhere around twenty-four to twenty-six thousand uh, of these fragments of, of text for the New, New Testament. Um, and then, if you take things like uh, quotes from people early on, you know, people were like preaching sermons about the Bible way back. You know, we've got records from them, like right from the beginning, first, you know, from seventy to one hundred and fifty, and these kinds of things. So we have, we can see lots of different ways that what they were reading was exactly what we're, we were reading. And we have all these texts that agree with one another, other than literally minor things like spelling errors and very minor variations like that that don't, none of them, of the minor variations, have anything to do with meaning or changing literally anything. It's just small things uh, like spelling. Or um, The thing is there that you can, if the, you can find exactly when there was an alteration made because you could say, okay, up until this point, all the text said uh, this story, but then the story was changed right around this time, and it was, and all began to say another thing. So you could be able to very easily demonstrate where it is that the Bible had been changed. Um, that's the that's the one one angle, but there's lots of different scientific reasons to prove that the Bible hasn't been changed. Um, well, let's look really quickly at the at the Old Testament too. The Old Testament is a great example. There, there was up until very recently, the Masoretic texts were the oldest copies of the Old Testament, and um, then they were about a thousand years old. And then when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, there were there was a huge gap between those the thousand year old texts and um, about a thousand year difference. And we found that the translations between the Dead Sea Scrolls of the, of the Old Testament, which they found copies of. Uh, every book in the Old Testament, except for Esther, and um, they all agreed. We, especially amazing was the uh, wonderfully preserved book of Isaiah, because Isaiah, one of the longer books in the Bible, it, it also is one of these books that uh, can be demonstrated to be written before the time of Christ, and has these amazing prophecies of Christ, which, uh, for example, Isaiah 53, which to this day, what well, really interesting side note about Isaiah 53 is... Um, is because there wasn't uh, proof of Isaiah 53 being written before Christ because the Masoretic texts were the oldest thing we had and they were obviously after Christ, a lot of modern, at that time, modern Jewish people said, oh, Isaiah 53, that was added later because it's such a clear description of Jesus Christ on, on the cross and such a clear prophecy. So they essentially took the position that Isaiah 53 was a forgery. So the, so the Dead Sea Scrolls finding... The, the preserved copy of one of the most beautiful demonstrations of the, of the uh, prophecies of Christ ever um, validated that and really, I'm sure, made a lot of people that were interested in that kind of thing think. But it also demonstrated that it had been copied correctly through a thousand years. And that's really saying something to have um, – yeah, my phone's going off here – to have a um, 
to have a book copied correctly for a thousand years. That's a that's not uh, what happens in a game of telephone. A game of telephone, you get a different thing over a thousand years. We should have a totally different thing, and we do see that in other texts. Uh, the next closest text, besides the uh, besides the Bible, for instance, is Homer's Iliad. Uh, there are, I think, um, I'm going to get the number wrong, but I think it's, there's something like 600 copies of Homer's Iliad, and um, those very extreme uh, amounts, the, including the meaning and, and what happens, the story, and incredible variation in the text over those 600 copies. Uh, that's what you should expect. You should not expect logically, well, no, we're not at the logical part yet, but we shouldn't expect uh, and no variation for a thousand years, and that has a lot to do with, um, well, I think uh, you know the scriptures being preserved, but also because the Jewish people were very meticulous uh, in their in their transcribing of the text. I mentioned a few examples in that video. Uh, one one of which was that they used to um, ritually bathe every time that they wrote the name of God, and they would also. Uh, uh, being known to scrap entire scrolls if they had uh, miswrote uh, one word or another word. So they were, they were people that took their uh, their texts and their uh, scribing really. I don't know, that's probably not the word, but really seriously. So the the thing is, is that when people say that you should really be able to to find out, hold on. <laughs> uh, you should really be able to ask them to prove it because uh, as far as the text goes. They, they should be able to if they're going to make the claim. So, so let's let's talk for and, and I, I agree with you. Um, I, let, let me let me first comment on, on what you just said. The the uh, I think the meticulousness, of course, uh, in, in the copying was the fact that well, this was uh, this was their God. I mean, e- even though it was after Christ, um, the Old Testament had in it written down. Uh, all of the trials of of the Jewish people and the miracles, uh, uh, you know, the miracles of the columns of fire being called down, and 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 it, and it was their history too. So I could I can see why um, it was so meticulously copied, um, and and I bet that it was. Uh, I'll bet that they were really really nervous about the work they did when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. I'll bet they were chewing their fingernails off, hoping <laughs> they had it right, or they'd have to scrap everything. Um, one of one of the one one of the things that that uh, people always point to is they tell me, well, it was changed at the Council of Nicaea, or and another one is Francis Bacon changed uh, changed the Bible. Uh, what do you say to folks that tell you things like that? Well, um, the Council of Nicaea issue is a pretty easy one uh, because there there wasn't any. That's just totally untrue. Dan Brown is pretty much uh, who wrote the Da Vinci Code is kind of who made that popularized that. But the Council of Nicaea um, had nothing to do with um, certainly had nothing to do with creating the Bible or writing the Bible. Uh, the, what people often claim is that it was canonized that they chose the books of the Bible to which one would be at the Council of Nicaea, and that also is not true. There wasn't any record of that. Uh, that that that's in in no way what they did at the Council of Nicaea. They were uh, talking about a uh, something called Arianism, sort of giving this guy named Arian a chance to plead his case about uh, what they all voted down and said, "Look, man, you're you're off and." talking about something that's that's not biblical so the interesting is, thing about that is the council of nicaea is that these weren't a bunch of um this wasn't a bunch of catholic you know bishops wearing their bishop hats and all this modern day weirdness uh this was just after constantine took the throne and said hey you know what um we're not going to kill christians anymore well technically they had not uh not just did that but said hey we're going to not going to we're basically before him there was total destruction of Christianity for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So most of the people that were out at the Council of Nicaea did not trust Constantine any more than they could throw him. They they were, in one sense, kind of cautiously optimistic here after 300 years. Okay, so what? Now Rome is going to be Christian? What is this? You know, I mean, I would be cautiously optimistic if I was having to run and hide underground in the catacombs, and then all of a sudden I don't have to hide in the catacombs anymore. And they're not going to feed me for the lions to the lions for reading the Bible and stuff. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And then so they have this council where where he's essentially trying to gain legitimacy um, and and sort of saying, hey, you know, I'm the authority here. Uh, so in that, in a way, it kind of sets the tone for that in a really non because he wasn't really saying that he was the authority. It was an actually an interesting move because uh, it di- he didn't come right out and say. Um, 
say, hey, guess what? I'm now the boss of Christianity. It, it wasn't like that at that time. This was the gathering up these individual church pastors that were spread out all over uh, the Roman world at the time and bringing them together for this council for them to make a decision about whether or not this Arian guy was uh, you know, telling what was in the Bible or not. Because you have to remember, the Bible w- existed uh, the whole 300 years before that. You know, I mean, the, that's what they were getting killed for was the Bible. So um, the they were reading the text, the, the letters, uh, the four Gospels, uh, the letters of Paul, these things like the book of Revelation. I mean, the book of Revelation uh, was was well. I mean, there was commentary on the book of Revelation way before the Catholic Church existed. The idea that, the, that this was written, uh, you know, afterwards is something that scholars would laugh at. And the, probably one of the problems is is that a lot of the biblical scholars that you know would never entertain these ideas, um, they're not doing a good job of sort of helping other people understand that uh, that this is all not true. You know, they should be doing their part, and they they just think, oh, I can't believe anybody believes this. This is so wrong, and then they go keep doing whatever scholarly thing they're doing, not realizing that a lot of people are believing this stuff out there. So um, so there needs to be yeah. some kind of gap filled there. Oh, yeah, mo- most definitely, most definitely. And and uh, I, I probably we should back up just a little bit because there's a point that I that I, I want to ask about and it just and I, I forgot to do it earlier and I, and I should have. And it has to do with the critics of the Bible. Um the critics of the Bible, there's there I mean, let's face it, there are groups out there, highly educated individuals that have an absolute hatred of 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 the Bible period, Old and New Testament. And these guys, uh, you know, they have written logical arguments against Christianity. They, they've, they've, they've written moral arguments against Christianity. Um, and some of them have just bent downright hateful arguments or ridicule. Um, but they can't come up with any type of real evidence to refute uh, that the Bible has been accurately carried down through time. Isn't that correct? And can you go into that just a little bit? Sure. I mean, it's interesting if you watch some of the debates, um, and you have to be careful. I mean, not every debate, not everybody that's a critic of the Bible is a as a textual scholar by any means. Uh, but that also, if you if you look at the people that are uh, scholars of the text, and that's a really uh, an interesting field that is subject to peer review. That's a really important thing to realize that um, they they may want to, um, you know say the Bible was changed, they probably really would like that, but their pride sort of prevents it because they have this thing called peer review. And even the people that believe like they do will still like to call them out and say, you're wrong. You know, this isn't, this isn't true or whatever. So they sort of operate in the confines of, of the truth. And that's why, you know, people wouldn't say, uh, you know, the gospel of Thomas or something like that was, um, you know, it, it was clearly written much, much later. I mean, nobody, nobody that's a textual scholar would would think that there's any good reason uh, for thinking that the Gospel of Thomas actually should be a part of the Bible, and the Gospel of Thomas is the closest possible Gnostic gospel to even be included. But uh, you know, the earliest even mention or quotation of it is 200 A.D. It shows all the evidence of being written where, where it was, textually speaking. Uh, the 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 interesting things that people do to try to make that a case when you really get into what they're trying to do is, is so ridiculous. Um, but nevertheless, uh, again, it's, it's something people believe. So there are, there are those people out there, um, like modern day, uh, an example would be like the, the so-called Jesus seminar where, uh, sort of a liberal group of, of actual textual scholars took a position um, this is about as close as it got. And this is what I would say this is about as close of, of the really ridiculousness of it, um, they they decided to make up what was actually, um, you know, make up what they called a Q document, which wasn't actually a document. They just were going to, like, take the parts of the Bible that they liked and they would include it in this document that they were calling the Q, Q document. And instead of, like, having a good reason for it, uh, they would literally vote on it. They would say, okay, let's vote. Who wants 
who, vote, who votes this this part in? And they would just like take a vote, and that would be how they determine what was in the Q document. It wasn't even based on uh, – it was essentially based on kind of like the Jeffersonian Bible, which is uh, Jeff, Jefferson had essentially made his own Bible, took parts that he liked because he didn't believe in uh, miracles or anything like that. So he just took all, all the miracles and the supernatural stuff and, and made the Jeffersonian uh, Bible. Uh, but, yeah, that's there's there's something that – uh, it's really entertaining thing to do is to look into that stuff, look into debates among textual critics and things like that, and to see not that yeah they're having heated arguments about stuff, but it's not heated arguments about uh, you know the the Bible was changed um, to mean something different or anything. I mean that's just that's just something you've never heard anybody argue. So at least from that from that field of science. Yeah, excellent, excellent. I, I didn't know that about the Jeffersonian Bible, by the way. I'm going to go look at that up after our interview just so I can get a look at it because I, <laughs> yeah. I'd heard of it, but I had never actually looked at one. So now, now that I know what's in it, I got to go in there and see what's missing. <laughs> yeah, he was an um, interesting guy. Obviously, a lot of those guys were deists, but one of the one of the things about deism is that they uh, they're very uh, realist. That is, that they don't believe in any uh, any miracles, and so. But in effect, they they don't they may have talked to about let's say Jesus in the sense of a good moral teacher and these sorts of things, but they considered the idea that uh, that Jesus was God or died for our sins or anything like that is, is absolute uh, uh, ridiculousness. And their quotes to that effect are pretty interesting. Uh, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. I don't guess. Hmm, it kind of sounds a bit like uh, kind of New Age theology a little bit, and that's you a know. whole diff- that's a whole other show right there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, you know, you mentioned Francis Bacon, and I, I, I chuckled when I heard uh, your reply to that. So I would share that with, with folks real quick, the reason why Francis Bacon couldn't have changed it, just because I, I'm sure they'll get as big a chuckle out of the logic as I did. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I've heard that one for a long, long time, and uh, it's, again, something that people say in emails like they, you know, and I, I'm I'm always amused because I'm sure they're all getting it from like similar places of like Jordan Maxwell or somebody saying just saying it, you know, not really giving any information except for like their Shakespeare thing that they do and I wonder if anybody ever looks it up or let's just talk about it real quick. You can um you can prove that Francis Bacon didn't cho- didn't change the Bible because you can look at the English version, you can you can use a concordance to see what the Hebrew words are there. Um we can look at those Hebrew words and uh you know you can look at the Masoretic text or the Dead Sea Scrolls or whatever you want to, as far as ancient antiquity quotes of the uh, the Psalms, quotes of all these things, and see that it's been the same thing. Um, in order for Francis Bacon to change any part of the Bible, he would literally have to not only have changed the Masoretic text, but he also would have had to crawl into the caves at Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and change those hundreds of years before they were even discovered. Um, the thing about it is, you can actually say to somebody, let's say you knew somebody that um, spoke Hebrew and English. Um, you know, there's lots of bilingual people out there. Let's say somebody just knew Hebrew and English. Now, they can look at what we have in English as far as the Bible and read it and then look back at the Hebrew, uh, you know, that they've been reading for a long time and say, you know what? I mean, it's the same thing. You know, you think you would think what, what the, the King James Version is 1611 or something like that. You would think that somewhere in that 400 plus years some bilingual person would see, would be like, oh my gosh, you guys are reading something totally different than what we have in our Hebrew text. You know, you would think that 400 years, some bilingual person would show up and say, what are you doing translating those words like that? Obviously Shakespeare and you know all these things, you know, they shouldn't be there. You know, somebody that spoke Hebrew and English would have told us by now. But yeah, of course, we don't need that because we have in concordance. The whole thing is ridiculous uh, to, to, to believe. And I hope that people out there that believe that or have believed that would start to be like, you know what? There is this sort of thing out there that, that people that are claiming to tell truth, but then they may be telling you truth about fluoride and the rest of it. But when it comes to the Bible, they're fiercely lying to you. And there's a good reason for it. I, I, I agree. I agree. And I got to take us out to break. Uh, when we come back, um, I want to talk about. I think I think you've fairly well proven the case and uh, for the Bible not being altered. Um, so let's when we come back from break, let's let's talk a bit about whether the Illuminati actually wrote the Bible for us uh, when we come back. So we'll be back in about three minutes. You guys hang tight. I want to thank you for coming out. This is uh, my second Thursday show, and uh, you guys pack the house as always. So. 
Uh, you guys hang tight, and uh, we got a we got a full another segment treat for you. I know you guys are loving this topic. I can barely read the chat room. All right, and welcome back to Freedomizer Radio, and this is Hardtail News with Doc, and we're joined tonight by Chris White from Nowhere to Run Radio. Dot com and uh, of course Zeitgeist fame and and tonight we're talking about uh, did the Illuminati write the Bible was the Bible changed by the Vatican or the Illuminati and is it something used to control the masses and uh, we already covered in the last segment of course whether or not it was altered and fantastic information as always and so we're gonna we're gonna pick up this segment with was it the Illuminati that, that that actually wrote the Bible to begin with? Let's let's get into that a little bit, huh? Well, uh, sure. Let's let's look at it. The, the first thing I guess is important is that there's no there's no historical evidence to support that. I mean, the the evidence as far as uh, literary you know literary goes, um, the evidence is you know that it came from these people in uh, the apostles in Judea. That that's where it started, and, and you know that's what the Roman writings, totally extra biblical writings, are attesting to. That's where we see it spreading from. We see that there was tremendous persecution against those that were claiming to be apostles, like Paul. Um, and so we have actual extra biblical evidence to suggest that this is in fact where the Bible came from. But that's not really what I talked about in, in the in the uh, movie. There, what uh, in the movie I was trying to pre- present was the case that if the Illuminati did write the Bible, you would expect them to put an entirely different idea. But instead, they have uh, a theme that is extremely anti-Illuminati in the Bible, if they did write it. Uh, for instance, Oh, I agree. I agree. They, I agree fully. Their, their, their doctrine is definitely counter, counter to the Bible. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's get into the differences. Let's talk about the difference between what they believe and of course, uh, what the Bible teaches. I mean, because it's profound. It's it's <laughs> night and day. Right. I mean, well, the the main thing is is that most people will be aware of the Illuminati's um, affinity for the occult. But it's not just that they dabble in it, or that it's it's, it's an integral part of their power. And I think what, the more that you dig, and the more you realize that, and you realize the nature of their power, and what it actually is, and and why they're using it, you start to see that that's the exact same thing that was happening in the Bible, um, that these kings and queens were were not just participating in the occult, but were totally given over to it because for their rule, for their office of king or whatever. A great example is um, in the in several places, almost almost any time you'll see some sort of judgment in the in the Old Testament of God uh, among people. And when people take those verses out of context, they never mention this, is that what God's oftentimes judging is the um, the kings and everybody else getting involved in things like Moloch worship, which is a, a thing where they would actually heat the hands with fire of this metal statue of Moloch until they were glowing red. And they would put these are kings and queens would put their babies in there, the firstborn uh, children and firstborn sons in there. And as they were, uh, uh, you know, being uh, cooked, they would beat the drums around so nobody could hear the screams to drown out the screams. And they would uh, worship Moloch. These are the kinds of things that God was saying, hey, guys, you better stop that or I'm going to totally come in there and show you what's what. And so that's the, the, the people that would quote those verses and look, look how vengeful vengeful God is. He's he's talking about judgment, but if you read it in context, you're like, yeah, yeah, go get him, go get him. Um, but, the, <laughs> but the thing is about um, that is that the Moloch thing and all the other gods that they're worshiping, that, that the Baals and the Ashtars and all these other Babylonian and Sumerian gods are the same things that we see the Illuminati reference for. Uh, they literally worship the same gods today and at the top levels are doing sacrifices exactly the same. It's it's not because they are in, you know, and I make the point in the video that these are kings and queens. These are not um, uneducated people that are doing things because somebody's telling them to. These, these are not people not answering to anybody else that are doing this for an exchange of goods and services, if you will. And that exchange has been going on for a long time. That's sort of the nature of the power of the Illuminati. And once you understand that, you'll start to realize what the Bible is doing is showing you how to defeat their power structure. Um, and there is, uh, th- but beyond that, beyond the fact that it's showing you um, their weakness as far as um, 
you know how to defeat their main their main source of their power, but it's also exposing them um, for what they are. A few a few examples uh, also is um, Ezekiel. He was actually taken in a really sort of uh, spiritual way and, and shown by God, shown the uh, politicians of his day behind closed doors. As it says in this particular one, they were at the gates. The gates are where, uh, in ancient times, the uh, politicians would gather to discuss, um, you know, discuss the state of the city, what to do, pass laws, these kinds of things. It was always referred to as meeting at the gates. He he was shown um, this meeting when they were all practicing. Uh, the occult. He also was shown spiritually the uh, worship of Tammuz, um, and he was also taken inside the the very temple itself, where where he was shown that they weren't doing what they were claiming to everybody that they were doing. That these leaders were actually, in this case, worshiping the sun. And it doesn't take very long to look at the Illuminati uh, worship of the sun uh, via you know uh, you can look at just. They, they view it as Lucifer. The modern mystery schools took the, the, the that idea and made it Lucifer, the, the light bringer, and all these different things. So that symbolism is still very much uh, in play today. That's the exact same religion of the Illuminati. It's the exact same one that God is saying, look look at what they're doing. And then, and if you read in context, God's even having mercy on them. That's the, that's the thing that you when you read the Bible, you start to realize that God wasn't just punishing these people. God went to unbelievable links to say to them and to send them warnings and to do everything that he could to even these terrible people that were sacrificing their babies. He said, look, you know, turn from it, you know, turn away from that. Don't sacrifice your babies. But, but at the same time, uh, he would also, he would also judge them. So the thing is, uh, that's a really interesting part about, about it. Another thing that it, the Bible is not something that the Illuminati would write is because of their the core structure of the pyramid system um, is totally different. The idea of compartmentalization of information, that the people on the bottom don't know what's going on, uh, that the people on the top do, um, is a very important part of their system. And that, again, is tied to the reason that that system is in danger of the Bible is the same reason that the uh, their secrecy in general, which which holds together their system, uh, is also in danger. The secrecy of their uh, their identities, their intentions, um, and these things are very very important. A good example is the whole structure of let's just take the Illuminati proper, the Bavarian Illuminati stuff. That was the whole thing that made that work was the fact that it was a secret society that they weren't going to go out and tell people what they were doing. Now that is in danger if. If God of the Bible is showing people that this is still happening today, that this was uh, where they would do, this is the kind of things that they would worship. You know, this is why a lot of Christians are on the forefront of like pointing out the Illuminati stuff, is because they they they've already been warned and told about this stuff. They've been given the blueprint a long time and say this is what the things that they're into, where they're doing it, and and who to look for. And so these are the kinds of things that obviously the Bible's calling out. Now we could get That's into. Fair. Uh, many different reasons why um, the authority of Christ destroys uh, the the power of their core power uh, is destroyed with that authority of Christ. But um, you know, there's lots of different ways. I, I recommended in the video to see some of Russ Dizdar's stuff. Who I know you've had on here, and he does a great job of explaining the intricacies of exactly why that authority has such power over the demonic realm. Most definitely, most definitely. In fact, uh, the Bible's really clear on that. Um, there's, there is nothing in the demonic realm that, that uh, through, through the power of Jesus, you don't have authority over. It, it says very clearly, you know, you can order. If you're, if you're having uh, problems in your life that are, that are demonic in nature, um, you can just bring it and put it before God, and God will, will take care of it for you as long as you ask in, in the name of Jesus. It says that. That you'll have all authority over them, and uh, uh, you know I've, I've, I often do that. In fact, I do that before every radio show. Um, yeah, there was a time where, uh, at the beginning of this, a couple times where I didn't do that, and it was crazy. But we had problems. We had problems, and when I do it, we don't have problems. And I've just learned that uh, if you don't want to have problems, it's at least demonic in nature. Take it to the Lord in prayer really quickly, and and He'll take He'll take care of it. Um, one, one of the things. One, one thing I'll mention to add to that is that uh, it's it's also imperative. Uh, I see that happen all the time um, it, with working with people that have sleep paralysis and other sorts of demonic oppression stuff, where they're actually dealing with 
with demons on a regular basis, people that were into the extremely hardcore occult stuff, you know, they've opened a lot of doors and are dealing with some pretty heavy stuff. Those are the people that really become some sold-out Christians at the end of it because they're like, they w- had no idea that there was power over this stuff. They've been dealing with some uh, stuff that you wouldn't even believe if I told you. And to hear them say, you know, you're right, these things were scared of, of that name. And it changes their whole paradigm. They thought nothing was more powerful than these demons that had told them that they were gods and, and all these other things. So it's a, it's a game changer. But uh, And that, if you start to realize that that's what the, the Illuminati are dealing with, that's the power that's keeping them in power. That's why they're sacrificing their children. That's why they're doing things. And when you realize that they're actually in danger of a, a stupid you know, Christian like myself uh, having authority over what their greatest and w- most powerful God that they can summon, and all all we got to do is go up there and say, you know, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ, and that's it. You know, so that's that's not a, a fair fight for them. They've worked really, really hard to keep this in secret because of that that unfair advantage that we have. And so there's a lot of different ways that they're trying to keep us down. But I know we're running out of time, so so yeah. All right. I, I want to ask you real quick, just because it's it's pertinent to what we just talked about, and, and and I'm a little older than you, so you might not remember, but you do remember uh, Donahue brought on uh, a bunch of, I think it was the uh, Church of, of Lucifer, Satan, or Anton LaVey. Uh, they brought him on and, and some witches, and he brought a pastor on, and uh, those guys, were they were supposed to work some kind of spell or whatever, and and the pastor said, well, um, you're going to have a boring show, Donahue, because uh, after I say this prayer, they're going to be powerless. And uh, Donahue let him say the prayer on air. And, uh, uh, of course, then nothing happened. you know. And, of course, nobody expected anything to happen on the Donahue show. But um, the, the witches that, that, that uh, it wasn't LeVay, but it was one of his uh, you know, upper, upper echelon folks uh, came on to the show. Uh, they were actually screaming at the guy and, and uh, yelling at him to get out of there, that he was interfering with what they were doing, and he was just chuckling and kind of told Donahue, uh, I told you. <laughs> so it's interesting. Um, and at the time, I, you know, it, it, I was young, so it didn't make uh, – it, it wasn't as big an impression on, on me as it is now. But now that's one of the things that always pops to mind when it comes to the power that, that Christians have over even the, the – uh, I guess you would call them the elites in that field, don't you think? Definitely, absolutely. Yeah, and, he's, and and since we're talking about the power of God, and and and, and although this isn't exactly on the topic, it is. Uh, I, you know, we're talking about a God here that actually created everything we see, um, you know, and the things that we don't see. Um, he created a bumblebee, a bu- the big bumblebee that, that, of course, flies against the laws of physics and so many other things. And uh, one of the arguments that I often present to folks is that, especially the ones that do believe that there's some power out there in charge of, of, of what's going on, uh, I tell them, well, if you believe in a, in a god, um, don't you believe that a god that made everything would then very easily have the power to preserve his word if it was to ensure that that folks had free will in their decision on whether or not to serve him. Don't you think that no matter what man would do, that he would preserve that book um, so that that choice, which is really, that choice is really the the whole premise behind uh, uh, what God has done, is so that folks have free will. You can either, you know, choose to be whole spiritually or you can choose to be, uh, worldly and and go after what the things of this world and and I just think that's a really that, that's a really pertinent argument in this situation that a, that a god that's powerful enough to make all this is most certainly powerful enough to preserve his word no matter who wants to destroy it don't you think yeah it's a, it's a wonderful argument I think it's actually part of the sort of twelve part twelve point apologetic argument and it's a really solid argument um, it's it's I mean it, it is a lot you can actually do with that to demonstrate. Um, that that it, that is true, but it's also something that I find it's really hard to explain to people because they're not in a place where they're willing to even entertain the idea. A lot of times that that God exists, we're, you know, you're sort of dealing with this, uh, you know, this this you know, you've got to start somewhere else. You know, I, I, there are there are some that would disagree with me and say that uh, presuppositional apologetics is one that everybody sort of knows 
that it's true deep down, and so you don't even really mess with that, a lot of that stuff. But I, I think there's some some uh, truth to that, but obviously it doesn't it doesn't work in practice all that much. Okay, well, I have a caller in queue, and I know who it is. Um, I don't know if you've seen the videos of the April 19th stuff that we did down there in D.C., uh, but there was a gal there in a nurse's outfit that was really famous, made all the news, and her name's Patriot Nurse. And I see she's in queue, and she wanted to ask you a question, and she asked me in the chat, and I said, call him and ask him. So she's in queue. You want to you take a caller? Definitely. All right. Hey, Patriot Nurse, uh, you're live on Hardtail News with uh, Doc and, and Chris White. Go ahead and... Uh, Pose your questions. Hey, Doc. Thanks for thanks for letting me call in and ask the question. And thanks, Chris, for, for taking the call. Um, no I have a two-pronged question. And the first prong of it is, one, could you give us some, some signs, some symptoms of a person who is demonically possessed? And two, how would you distinguish from somebody who was demonically possessed versus perhaps somebody with a legitimate psych issue? Uh, well, that's a really good question. Um, the signs that I tend to to would see with somebody that's just very, very demonically possessed, um, the things that would separate them, you, you'll hear almost always voices in the head and... Um, and uh, you know suicidal tendency, tendencies. Those two things would also arguably be uh, in some cases with uh, uh, psychic issues. Um, another sort of thing is supernatural issues. Granted, if you have, you're going to have uh, in a very possessed person. I'm not necessarily talking now about somebody that is you know sort of just kind of dealing with some what I would call oppression or attachment issues, but is fully possessed, you might also see some supernatural things happening, um, things flying across the room. Uh, you might see uh, they would be obviously very anti-God. Uh, there would be some sort of God or Jesus sort of thing going on, like they would be um, saying something about it, saying that saying some sort of thing about that, or maybe even cursing God, these kinds of things, talking and you know, backwards languages, weird stuff like that. Um, that would be all symptoms of that. Psych issues. I think, um, you know, they there are absolutely genuine uh, psych issues that do have voices in the heads and voices in the head and um, and suicidal tendencies. Those are two very uh, common things. But I would say that on the whole, uh, voices in the head and suicidal tendencies should first. If you're if you're a believer and you th and you think that it, it could be uh, demonic, I would encourage a strong um, a strong spiritual warfare against that, praying against it, asking you know renouncing it. You know, obviously, uh, if you think there's a demon in there, to cast the demon out, uh, which you just uh, you do by the authority of Christ, just praying and asking uh, in the name of Jesus for it to to leave for the authority of Christ, using the authority of Christ, they must obey that name. So, I would go ahead and. Play it safe if somebody's having voices in their heads and suicidal thoughts and those types of things. Um, but I think that there is a, a fine line, and I would uh, uh, I would defer mostly to somebody that's dealt with a lot more of that, and that would be Russ Dizdar. That I know I've actually heard in his uh, you know in his um, conference tapes and different things like that. He goes through that in great detail about all the different things. But there are certain things that demons do that humans can't do, like I mentioned, stuff flying across the room and that kind of stuff. So um, that would be one thing. All right. That, man, that was a fantastic answer. I really appreciated it because I um, I still work PRN at a psych hospital, but I did inpatient psychiatric stuff for two years, both with adolescents and pediatrics and with adults. And I ran into this so many times. I would, When I was getting histories on these kids, I can't tell you how many times they would say, well, I was playing with a Ouija board at a party, or my mother is a practicing Wiccan, or, you know, right. well, you know, a lot. And that's going to get a lot worse. Uh, I kind of was playing a little softball there, you know, with like, hey, because, I mean, there is genuine, and let's just get that absolutely straight, there is genuine psychological issues that manifest in these types of ways. But the majority of the stuff that's going on right now is 100% demonic. And I think that it, it it's a great... Uh, if somebody's in that situation, we're in a psych ward or in a situation like that, you can you can do a lot just by prayer, um, you know, for these people, especially if you have somebody in your personal uh, situation. I would talk to them, and it's it's a great thing to do because it doesn't cost 
anything. It's it's not like you lose something if you try it, you know. Um, of course, there probably come comes some law somewhere that you know puts you in jail for for trying it. I'm sure they're probably on the book somewhere, but um, but you know it's all it's always a good thing to to start there and then not to medicate first and then you know think about it later, you know. I agree. I agree fully. I'm in the I, I'm in the drug and alcohol field, and I, I you know a lot of those. Uh, at the same clinic, they do mental health and and all of that stuff, and we 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 see we see a lot of things in there that I I, I got to tell you that I know for a fact are are not uh, are, are not you know psychological problems. Uh, some of them are definitely demonic. Uh, I knew one gal that uh, folks said she had multiple personality disorder, but the, the other personalities were not. <laughs> we're not other people. They were. They were well, out there. So I, and, you know, I felt bad for. And def- sometimes I'll say this real quick with multiple personalities. What you'll have is sort of a mix of, of two things. Uh, oftentimes they're genuine. They, they, they can be, like you said, it can be just a, a demon manifesting. But also it can be people with genuine, genuine multiple personalities. But the the twist is is that a lot of times when multiple personalities are, are created. Um, using sort of that Nazi uh, system, they created them to be hosts for demonic entities. So you can actually have a, a personality that was, you know, created in a sense and programmed and has, uh, you know, is, is a genuine result of dissociation from, from a human. But that, that dissociation, that willpower was broken in order to accept a demon in a demonic ritual. So that, so that they also oftentimes would manifest in the situation where, like, uh, an assassin and a multiple personality was created to be a, an assassin, but that assassin personality was empowered with a, a demon to give it extra power for its uh, its job. So when that personality is called up, yes, it's another personality that shouldn't just be rebuked away because the personality is going to be like, what are you talking about? But there is an, an essence in there inside the personality that is a, is demonized. That and that's why when you're dealing with genuine multiple personality people, uh, the the process of uh, deliverance from from the demonic is is a lot more complicated than uh, somebody that's just a uh, a normie. Wow, crazy, crazy. And I, I got six minutes to go, uh, Patriot Nurse, and I, I do have uh, – I want to try and fit two more questions in then. So I, thank you for calling in. Fantastic question, and you know you're always welcome to call in anytime. Thanks, Doc. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you later. All right. So we got six more minutes, man, and I got, I'm going to run two questions by you real quick. One of them is, uh, of course, uh, the history, right? And, and I, I think I'm going to skip right to the Vatican uh, in fact, I want to cover the Vatican and the Inquisition. Uh, the Vatican and the emperors of Rome, of course. Uh, how did they, you know they did? They treated access to the Bible, uh, you know, pretty differently. If 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 they if it was written by the uh, New World Order or the Illuminati, it, things would have been a little different, right? And tell tell about the Inquisition, the tail end of that, so I can give you time to put your website out and stuff before we have to go. Okay, great. Well, the Vatican thing is extremely. Uh, it's just such a double-think issue because if they really were trying to get the people to read the Bible so that they could control their minds, then they had a funny way of showing it because they would burn people alive that read the Bible. They made the Bible illegal in the 1200s, but even way before that, the Bible was definitely discouraged from reading. It eventually came to the point where they made it illegal. Um, and that the reason is because anybody that, you know, you know the, what the what the Catholic Church is teaching is not very biblical. The way to fight the the Catholic Church back then was to pull out your Bible and say, "Hey, wait a minute! How come nobody in the Bible was praying to Mary? How come they had Mary right there? Why didn't they pray pray to her then? You know, or what? You know, they could refute the Catholic Church and all the crazy stuff it believes so easily. But the common man was in the Bible was uh, you know very at, subtly at first taken away. It was translated into Latin was most of the only way people could get to it is in Latin and very few people read Latin. Uh, the priest class eventually were the only people that, that could read it and the scholars and um, you know all those people would have to be in some way tied into the, the Vatican. So it was very it was impossible for the common man to know what the Bible said. But that didn't mean well I say impossible but during that time people would find fragments. They would have translations and things. They would find out that the Bible was saying something different than what this uh, that Rome essentially was was saying, and I'm speaking of Rome as the Roman Catholic Church, although Rome proper didn't exist anymore. Um, 
the they they were getting burned alive. The Inquisitions are were not about witches. The, the Inquisition started because of a group called the Albertenses, who were Bible believing, interesting people that would read the Bible and memorize entire huge sections of the Bible. They would they would memorize. They were very very biblical individuals, and that's why they the the Catholic Church re- eventually started this unbelievable campaign where millions and millions of people were tortured and killed and tortured. I mean, if you just look at some of the ways that they torture people, the uh, the Judas chair, for instance, uh, where it was uh, this pyramid that people were lowered from the ceiling and this uh, the, this metal point would go in their or, orifices of all types. It was very, very unbelievable. Burning, burning was their favorite method, burning alive. And as I mentioned, with the copy of the Bible that they owned. So those are not the actions of a group that wanted people to read the Bible so they could control their minds. It's just not. Uh, it's just not logical. Um, there was a few things. How much time have we got? We got three minutes. We got three minutes. Three minutes. Um, I might just uh, skip the the website. I'll say that right now. It's nowhere to run radio.com. But there's some things that's all in the chat room. I want to hit real quick. People mentioned King James. They said he uh, was a homosexual, and that uh, I've heard other places that he was a Freemason. These kinds of things. Uh, double check that King James was actually extremely anti. Uh, these brotherhood secret societies and stuff, and he wrote extensively about it. Um, the problem is, is that he kicked out of Scotland the Rosicrucians, and the Rosicrucians detested him for that. And the people that wrote the book saying that he was a homosexual, guess what secret society they were involved in? That's right, Rosicrucian? the Rosicrucians. So <laughs> the the stuff that is said about him is uh, kind of ancient. Uh, um, you're not all that ancient, but it's just. It's it's sort of uh, that's where that's coming from. Uh, a lot of people say the NIV was a big thing that people were asking for about and all the different changes of modern English and stuff like that. Keep in mind these are um, the NIV came out in the 70s. These are very very subtle changes to the English language. And no matter if the Bible is translated into Chinese, Swahili, uh, whatever language that it goes from, it has recourse to the Hebrew and Greek. Um, People do try to make – I mean, obviously they can't make big changes to the Bible because uh, people would be like, uh, the NIV doesn't say what the King James did. It's talking about a different story. So the things that were changed were unbelievably subtle. I I particularly don't like those subtle changes, and I think that there may have been a nefarious intent in that. But you have to remember what's at play here. We're dealing with English translations. We've got Chinese translations. We've got all these these modern-day translations to every language in the world that have recourse – to the Hebrew and Greek, which don't change. And if you have a concordance, you can say, that's what it is. You know, um, that's, that's the Bible. It's been there. It hasn't changed. And regardless of what people say, you, you can prove it. It's right there. It's not hard to do. So we can trust the Bible. It's made these prophecies that have come true. It's the most important book on your bookshelf right now. Uh, so it is, it is worthy to be read uh, more than any other book that, that you have on that shelf. All right, all right. Thank you, Chris. Fantastic interview. Um, I'll get, I'll have you back on the regular uh, second Wednesday uh, of next month. And uh, as always, awesome interview. Thank you for coming out. And uh, that's uh, nowhere to run radio.com, folks. You have a great night, huh, Chris? All right, man. Thanks a lot. It was real fun. Yeah, it always is. All right, folks, uh, that's it. I'm down to the last few seconds. So uh, thank you for joining me. Um, I will see you guys tomorrow night. Uh, David Codrea, Gun Rights Examiner, and uh, also uh, Tom Fernandez from Alarm and Mustard and Jeffrey Grupp. All right, folks, I'm out of here. See, citizens, citizens have arms. Citizens can say, after a long train of abuses and usurpations, oh, hell no. And watch out.